Here it is. From deep inside your audio device of choice. Ladies and gentlemen, first of all, I want to um, express my relief and gratitude that um, the fusillade of information released over the last three or four weeks by the United States government based on its intel turned out to be true. Doesn't always happen. But it, it, it is in, indeed a relief and a gift. A gift that doesn't either give or take. It just is. Um, now, we're, now we're in a war here. And um, I've, I've um, endeavored as best I can on this broadcast to bring you some degree of background as to um, the view from the other side about the steady encroachment eastward of NATO since Gorbachev was reassured by multiple U.S. officials, including James Baker, way back when, way back when, that NATO would never move eastward after Germany reunited. But, you know, as people have pointed out to me, that's in the past. Very perspicacious of them to do so. But now here we are, and now we're recipients of fragments of information about who this guy is on the other side. And there's been some speculation that without much in the way of evidence, did I say that word, that uh, Vladimir Putin is, um, to put it mildly, going nutsy after two years of COVID. We know how that feels. But I wanted to share with you, I just came across some thoughts about Putin from uh, before COVID days. This is from an acquaintance of mine who uh, used to be, for six years, the BBC correspondent in Moscow during earlier part of uh, Putin's reign. He's raining our parade is what he's doing. Literally, it's Mardi Gras time in New Orleans. And uh, she's now at Cambridge University. And these are some of her thoughts about Vladimir Putin. I don't think Putin is a Dostoevskian or a Dostoevsky hero. There are ultra-conservatives around him who push the notion of Russia as unique and special. The Third Rome. That's a Russian Orthodox idea that goes back way before Peter the Great. It was just Peter the, uh, the Average in those days. And Russia's Eurasian character facing both ways to Asia as well as Europe, descended from the Mongols as well as the Slavs, which is about geography as much as history. They push the idea of Mother Russia, which must be protected, and every young Russian must become a holy warrior to keep the Western enemy at bay. But I don't think Putin is a believer. He's a KGB pragmatist who picks and mixes the ideas when they suit him. He's a tactician, not a visionary. He smashed Aleppo in Syria, not just to assert, assert Russia, but as part of the military plan to bring Assad back 
and go after al-Nusra, the rebel group where lots of Chechen fighters ended up. He wants to destroy them before they come back to restart a full-scale terrorist campaign in Russia. In the last few years, the Kremlin has built up the USA to be the big enemy again, the other, the old Cold War foe. The reason for Russians to defend the motherland, tighten their belts, and batten down the hatches? Because they're already at war. Sanctions, attacking Russia over sports doping, banning it from the Olympics, accusations of a fix over it holding the World Cup, CIA meddling in its elections, its NGOs, all foreign agents, etc. So bashing the U.S. has been useful to rally Russians round their president to keep them patriotic. And now, this. Hello, welcome to the show. Friends are calling cause they're falling down I've joined the circus but I ain't no clown There's five eaters and some midgets too Around the corner right next to the zoo Call me crazy and it's probably true Please to call me now, here's a clue What's black and white and red all over A newspaper story about a murder lover I feel half crazy and I feel half-hearted Down the well of wishes of the Come to find out we are all connected Mosquitoes bit me and they got infected Mardi Gras has come to town Time to lay your burden down I'm back in it Tuesday again Call, but to no avail. I got the boat, but I forgot the sail. I'll soon be rowing gently down the stream. Upon the sheets, I will lie and dream. When I wake, the sun will shine like madness. Down on the heads of the drunken masses Out on the streets with their glasses full Riding in a buggy while the mule Drivers rewrite the course of history While the local past remains in mystery Europeans and people 
Tell me how fat can it Tuesday get? You're on the water with a fishing net. Boil it down and sit at the table. Peel and eat till you're not able. The autopsy showed you were full of fish. Broken heart and a come true wish. Now if fire burns out on the levee And the weight of the world is not that heavy As when you were a little kid Now don't forget to pick up the lid If you went on back, would you change a thing? Wait and see what tomorrow will bring. Morning glow has come to town. Time to lay your burden down. Hot back in a Tuesday again. From New Orleans, Louisiana, I'm Harry Shearer, welcoming you to this edition of the show. And now, ladies and gentlemen, ironic enough, at this moment, to hear news of the Olympic movement. Produced by Jim Ebersold III. I said irony. The International Olympic Committee has issued a statement saying it strongly condemns the breach of the Olympic truce by the Russian government. You see, the Olympic truce started seven days before the Winter Olympics and runs until seven days after the conclusion 
of the wait, Beijing, Beijing Winter Paralympics, March 20th. Almost a month. It calls on countries to build a, quote, peaceful and better world through sport and the Olympic ideal, unquote. The Olympic truce is inspired by the Ekaterina, an action which called for a halt to fighting during the Olympic Games of antiquity. The Olympic truce was unanimously adopted by the United Nations General Assembly in December. I don't think Russia voted against it. The IOC said it was deeply concerned about the safety of the Olympic community in Ukraine. A task force has been established to closely monitor the situation. At the opening ceremony, IOC President Thomas Bach called on political authorities to, quote, observe your commitment to this Olympic truce and give peace a chance. He then lay naked next to Yoko Ono. That's commitment, baby. News of the Olympic movement, ladies and gentlemen, copyrighted feature of this broadcast. And now. It's a smart world after all. It's a smart world after all. It's a smart world after all. It's a smart, smart world. Well, here's a warning. Uh, and it concerns much more than just the topic of the story. Um, I'll point that out in a moment. Ameri- many Americans begin to adopt newer and faster 5G wireless service. An earlier generation wireless network is winding down this coming week. The shutdown presents enormous consequences for certain products that still use the older 3G networks such as alarm systems, don't be alarmed, and personal emergency response systems that many seniors rely on to live independently. That's all. AT&T's final sunset date for 3G was uh, last Tuesday, 2-22-22, meaning that many devices using the network to contact emergency services are no longer connecting to the Internet. The company has said this shutdown is necessary to transition service toward newer networks. Well, of course. AT&T announced the sunset date in 2019, giving companies years to prepare. But the transition, according to CNBC, is happening during a particularly tumultuous time that has complicated upgrades for medical alert firms. I've fallen and I can't fall down again. The pandemic isolated its elderly customer base more than ever. Frequent scams and robocalls have put them on edge for accepting claims of free new devices. And supply chain disruptions have complicated the acquisition of new equipment. A group representing the medical alert companies petitioned the FCC for more time to prepare amid the challenges. And a, but A&T, AT&T's date remained in place ahead of its peers. So if you're old and afraid, try Verizon. 
Medical Alert executives told CNBC most of the industry runs on AT&T. So the deadline for that carrier, AT&T, affects a broad proportion of the devices in use. It's difficult to pin down the number of devices that could be left disconnected now. It's according to the Alarm Industry Communications Committee. AT&T spokesperson Daniel Oppenheim said even though AT&T gave roughly three years' notice of the sunset, the pandemic set back the industry's transition plans. It basically stole a year from us with an inability to get into people's homes and businesses, said AT&T spokesperson Daniel Oppenheim. He's the CEO also of Affiliated Monitoring, which operates call centers for a variety of alarm and personal emergency response companies. Even once the virus became less prevalent, Oppenheim said the supply chain disruptions presented a new issue, as long as 52-week lead times on certain equipment. Outreached customers presented its own challenges. You could imagine with any population that would be hard. With a senior population, it's infinitely harder because they, well... They don't really understand the change in the technology. This according to uh, Matt Solomon, general manager of medical alert provider LifeStation. He says seniors are wary. They've been, I think, for the positive, well-trained to be suspect. They get lots of calls from lots of people all the time telling them, don't worry, it's free, everything's okay. And we're calling them saying, don't worry, it's free. We just need to send you a new one. We had to contact people in many different ways, says a president of another personal emergency response company. He said the calls to seniors offering a new free device would immediately raise defenses for many customers after years of companies warning them of scams. Now, the uh, other thing that I was going to mention in this context is a story I came across a couple weeks ago. I don't have it with me today. But a couple of new technologies developed to help sightless people see their implants and help give some degree of sight to formerly sightless people. And, of course, they're smart devices. Of course, they're connected to the Internet. They're in your head, but they're connected to the Internet. And the company that manufactures, that developed the technology and manufactures and sells the devices, well, they've had some money trouble. And they're going out of business. And those people are going to be sightless again. Because it's a smart world. Uh, last Saturday, a week ago, attackers stole hundreds of non-fungible tokens, NFTs, from the users of something, a service called OpenSea, S-E-A. That caused a late-night panic among the site's user base, according to The Verge. A spreadsheet compiled by a security service counted 254 tokens, NFTs, stolen over the course of the attack. The bulk of the attacks taking place between 5 and 8 p.m. The value of the stolen tokens estimated at more than $1.7 million, although 
you could agree with me that the estimated value should be zero. But that's just, you know, I'm a crank. OpenSea initially said 32 users had been affected, but later revised that number to 17, saying 15 of the initial count had interacted with the attacker but not lost tokens. The attack appears to have exploited a flexibility, not a vulnerability, just a flexibility in the open source standard underlying most NFT smart contracts, including those made on OpenSea. First, targets signed a partial contract with a general authorization and a large portion left blank. With the signature in place, attackers completed the contract with a call to their own contract, which transferred ownership of the NFTs without payment. In essence, targets of the attack had signed a blank check, although they wouldn't understand it because it's not digital. OpenSea has become one of the most valuable companies of the NFT boom, providing a simple interface for users to list, browse, and bid on tokens without interacting directly with the blockchain. That success has come with significant security issues. The company has struggled with attacks that leveraged old contracts or poisoned tokens to steal users' valuable holdings. Many details of the attack remain unclear even to the people who wrote that. NFTs, ladies and gentlemen. Want to keep your uh, your nest egg there, and it'll get scrambled. Meanwhile, bit, speaking of uh, fictional things, Bitcoin proponents have long argued that miners moving to the U.S. can help lower the network's carbon emissions. You know that it takes a lot of electricity to, quote, mine, unquote, a Bitcoin. And um, a new paper out this week finds that global shifts in the location of Bitcoin miners driven by a crackdown last year in China have actually made Bitcoin even dirtier, thanks to fossil-fueled grids in the U.S.'s states. Bitcoin's carbon intensity on August of last year was 17% higher than the average in 2020. It's the polar opposite of what Bitcoin supporters have been saying, says uh, the author of the Bitcoin Energy Consumption, Consumption Index, lead author of the new paper published in the journal Joule, as in J-O-U-L-E, a measure of electricity. DeVries and his co-authors used a regularly updated map of global locations of Bitcoin miners. That's uh, provided by a Cambridge Center for Alternative Finance, they say their map encompasses nearly half of the Bitcoin network. Using data on the amount of fossil fuels and renewables used by the grids of each location, researchers were able to infer the types of fuels Bitcoin miners were using and extrapolate a rough carbon footprint for the entire network. Just making the world a little bit dirtier. And, of course, we can't have news of the smart world without news of Tesla. Tesla's automated lane-changing system, so-called autopilot, is now being probed by German regulators. This is uh, according to the German newspaper Bild am Sonntag. That's Bild on Sunday to you and me. 
The Federal Motor Transport Authority is reportedly assessing whether the technology which Tesla offers as an upgrade at a slight uh, extra cost, of course. They're not a charity. Is, uh, whether that uh, technology is safe to use on German roads. Could be. Maybe not. Who really knows? The regulator is also in talks with the Netherlands Vehicle Agency, which is responsible for approving vehicle use across Europe, according to the report in Bild am Sonntag. Tesla didn't uh, immediately respond to a CNBC request for comment because Tesla has no PR department. Just Elon Musk's tweets. The automated driving technology of the company is facing increasing scrutiny around the world following a series of fatal accidents. As you know, last week the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration here in the good old USA launched its second probe into a potential autopilot fault after users complained of phantom braking at high speeds. It sounds like fun. It was the fun police that cracked down, according to Musk. The uh, German regulator launched a separate probe last January into possible safety risks of the touchscreen in the center console of various Tesla models. It can suck you in, especially since you can't turn off the map. I know. I've tried. News of the Smart World, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. And now what's going on in um, the land of 15,000 princes, our freedom-loving friends in Saudi Arabia? The government there has warned the public against playing music or turning up the volumes of music inside residential areas during the Islamic first and second calls to prayer each day, saying it is punishable by law. It's according to the uh, Gulf News. Those caught playing music during prayer times will be fined $267, that's a 1,000 Saudi rials for the first time, and double the amount for the second time. Uh, Saudi Arabia has also introduced a new fine, ranging from 67 to a $1,333 for wearing shorts inside mosques or government offices, even though it gets hot there. However, men wearing shorts in public won't be considered a violation of public decorum in the kingdom. New fines were introduced after the Saudi Minister of the Interior, Prince Abdulaziz bin Saud bin Naif, Come on, bend knife, everybody. Issued a ministerial decision calling for amending the public decorum reservation. Our friends in the freedom-loving land of ten, uh, 15,000 princes, I just got a recap, our friends in Saudi Arabia.
from New Orleans. Need I point it out? This is Le Show. It is Mardi Gras time in New Orleans, but it's also time when um, a new subvariant of the Omicron virus is um, heading here. Don't think it's quite here yet, but I'm keeping my masks. No, no, about you. Well, of course, it's Mardi Gras time. Got to wear a mask anyway. There you go. And now, the apologies of the week. We're so sorry. This story is from last week, but it's um, unavoidable. Time and again, Pastor Andre Arango poured holy water on the heads of his parishioners during baptismal ceremonies, performing the Catholic sacrament that signifies the reversal of all past sins and the birth of an innocent person. We baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Arango, a priest in Phoenix, repeated during myriad ceremonies. But he misused one word that eventually compromised the validity of all those rituals. Instead of saying... I baptize you, he used the word we. It's according to the Diocese of Phoenix. His incorrect word nullified all the baptisms the priest performed during that time using that language. A probe conducted by the diocese revealed, if you were baptized using the wrong words, that means your baptism is invalid and you are not baptized. You will need to be baptized, said the diocese. Following the news, Arango was named pastor of St. Gregory Parish in Phoenix in April 2017, resigned, effective first of the month. Quote, it saddens me to learn that I have performed invalid baptisms throughout my ministry as a priest. I deeply regret my error and how this has affected numerous people in your parish and elsewhere. Mistake goes beyond baptism because it's a sacrament that opens the door to others if an individual was was improperly baptized by Arango and later received other sacraments, such as confirmation or marriage, they may need to repeat some or all of those sacraments after they are validly baptized. Before joining the Diocese of Phoenix, by the way, Arango was a member of the Udist community. What is that? An order dedicated to the training of future priests. We find that ironic. A pair of Kentucky lawmakers apologized for using an anti-Semitic phrase during a recent legislative committee hearing. Senator Rick Girdler and Representative Walker Thomas both said, Jew them down! during a discussion concerning the price of two leases in Graves County, which was devastated by tornadoes in December. This according to the Courier-Journal. And the Lexington Herald-Leader first reported that Thomas asked the state to drew them down on the price and could be heard laughing shortly after presentation. Girdler, who co-chairs the committee, repeated his question before quickly correcting himself. That ain't right, the right word to use. Drop, drop them down, I guess, he said, according to the Courier-Journal. Both lawmakers apologized for using the offensive phrase. Quote, I sincerely regret using that term and apologize to anyone harmed by my use of it. This, you want to say this with me now? This is not who I am, nor is it what my faith leads me to be. 
said Thomas. It is a phrase I've heard throughout my life, but this experience has provided me with an opportunity to reflect on the impact that words have and the fact that we must be smarter today than we were yesterday, unquote. The uh, Lexington Herald leader reported that uh, Girdler, the senator, said he was sorry if he had offended anyone and had no hate or malice in his heart for anyone in the Jewish community. Priyanka Chopra has some thoughts after an awkward interaction at a Malibu restaurant with comedian Rosie O'Donnell. Comedian! In a TikTok apology after the incident at Nobu Malibu, sort of a high-end restaurant, O'Donnell said she had greeted Jonas. Jonas. No reference to who Jonas is. Might be the uh, partner of Priyanka Chopra. And told him he was great in Kingdom be a TV show or movie of some sort, don't you think? Before turning to Chopra, I know your dad, O'Donnell told the actor. She goes, you do? Who's my dad? And I'm like, Deepak. She's like, no, and Chopra is a common name. O'Donnell said she felt embarrassed by the situation and concluded with an apology. Oh, Nick Jonas. Nick Jonas, I apologize. And to the Chopra wife, I apologize too, she said. People thought... She was rude. She wasn't rude, it was just awkward, said Priyanka Chopra. I'm sure she gets sick of that. I'm sure I'm not the only... No, no this is O'Donnell saying this. Ah. She wasn't rude, it was just awkward. I'm sure she gets sick of that. I'm sure I'm not the only one. According to the comments, a lot of people thought that too, but she's apparently a very well-known actress and more famous than him, people were saying. So I'm sure it felt weird to her to begin with. Anyway, Priyanka is her name. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. I just want to apologize to her and to everyone who thought that it was really inappropriate of me. O'Donnell concluded, Sorry, sometimes I F up. Chopra posted a response in Instagram. I've never taken myself so seriously to think everyone would know who I am, or my work for that matter. But if you wanted to make a public apology for a very awkward private encounter, I think probably... Best to take the time to Google my name before doing it or even try to reach out directly. We all deserve to be respected for our unique individuality and not be referred to as someone or wife. Journalist, author, and podcaster Matt Taibbi has apologized after he reassured his readers, listeners, and Twitter followers that Russia would not invade Ukraine. Part of news and even commentary is admitting mistakes, and though I always made sure when discussing the subject to note Vladimir Putin could still invade Ukraine, I have to admit I didn't see this happening, said Taibbi. Deadline Juno, Alaska, a pep club's, club's country theme, for which some student fans dressed as cowboys for a basketball game against a school from Alaska's only Indian reservation, wasn't intended to be racially provocative, but it had a negative effect that was predictable and should have been prevented. That's according to findings from an investigation of the incident released this week, conducted by the Ketchikan Gateway Borough School District. Following a game between the Ketchikan Kings and the Metiakatla Chiefs. 
For this, we must take accountability. In association with a Cowboys versus Indians theme escalated by the behavior of some Ketchikan students that included inappropriate racist remarks and sounds directed toward the opposing team. I guess they mean... The report says the responsibility for what happened is not just fallen students. They were lacking adult guidance and adequate administrative oversights. The report includes apologies to the Native community. Oklahoma congressional candidate Abby Broyles, Democrat of Oklahoma, of course, had been invited to a fun Valentine's Day weekend sleepover among teen preteen girls, Invited by the mother of one of the children, she, uh-oh, mixed wine and sleeping medication and ends up causing a disturbance. She says she can't remember. Broyles repeatedly used profanity, made disparaging comments about some of the girls' appearances, and then vomited on one girl's shoes. According to Nondoc, a nonprofit news outlet, first to report the story, Broyles denied the allegations in an interview on Thursday, but on Friday she apologized for her behavior in a televised TV interview. She said she'd been invited to the sleepover by her friend, mother of one of the girls. She brought over wine and ended up taking sleeping medication she hadn't taken before. Always good opportunity to take new medication around teen girls. Instead of helping me sleep, Broyle said, I hallucinated. She added, the rest is blurry. <laughs> the only thing she remembers, and I gotta admit, I'd remember this too, is opening her eyes while she was throwing up into a laundry hamper. Quote, I want to say I'm sorry for the bottom of my heart. I apologize for any hurt or damage or trauma that my behavior when I didn't know what I was doing caused. I'm deeply sorry. And she said that, to be fair, while not throwing up. Finally, a spokesperson for New Orleans Mayor Latoya Cantrell. Uh, Bo Tidwell is his name, by the way. Uh, he has um, addressed the photos and videos that showed the mayor and other politicians at a carnival ball last weekend without masks, saying it was regrettable that the attendees didn't do a better job following the city's COVID-19 mandate than masks be worn at all indoor events. The mayor and several city council members were photographed maskless at the mayor's Mardi Gras ball last Friday evening. Despite that requirement, the masks be worn inside public spaces. Bo Tidwell, her spokesman, short, stopped short of admitting that she violated the mask mandate, which allows narrow exceptions for consuming food and beverages. She wasn't doing that. She was doing karaoke. Didn't want to be singing through a mask. This um, echo, well, the um, spokesman went a step further in acknowledging Cantrell and other attendees had been maskless in photos and videos. They were required to show proof of vaccination or a recent negative test to uh, gain entry to the ball in the first place. She did wear a mask in some photos. In one, she's maskless with two other women while holding a microphone and appearing to sing in a rotating photo booth. This is the city's third 
mask mandate. As I say, it kind of echoes a story that's been on fire, fire in Great Britain regarding Prime Minister Boris Johnson, who inflict, uh, sorry, um, announced a mask mandate and a lockdown about a year and a half ago and um, then was seen at a party in the garden of Number 10 Downing Street saying he thought it was a work event despite the fact that the invitations to the party, which he had a copy of, contained the instruction, bring your own booze. Thank you. 
the show saying farewell to Gary Brooker. And now, news of the godly. A German Catholic priest was sentenced to 12 years in prison for child sexual abuse. It's according to a German court this week. This is the latest in the string of cases that have shaken, not stirred, shaken the German Catholic Church. The Cologne District Court found the man identified court documents as Hans Uy, U-E. Well, he didn't get enough of a name. See, I can understand a guy. He was found guilty in a total of 110 cases between 1993 and 2018, including 23 cases of serious sexual abuse of children. He's ordered the defendant to pay compensation to three of the nine plaintiffs for their pain and suffering. And the youngest victim was nine at the time of the crime. Three plaintiffs were nieces of the 70-year-old priest. He's keeping it in the family, baby. Court hearings in the case underway since November last year revealed additional potential victims and led to the priest's detention in January. Never too late. The lawsuit is the latest case in a long-running scandal that has shaken the richest national branch of the Catholic Church. It's two uses of shaken by writers. That's dividing the leadership of the church and eroding a flock that numbers more than 20 million people. Is he being deflocked? And a Catholic priest in Phoenix. Oh, we did that. Okay. We and I. Remember that? Earlier earlier in this very program? Yeah, me too. And now, news of the war, won't you? Over much of the last decade, oil and gas operators in Texas and a dozen other U.S. states have flared or burned off in the air at least three and a half trillion cubic feet of natural gas. Why are they doing that? Why are they burning their own gas? According to an analysis of satellite data by the Howard Center for Investigative Journalism, it equals more than $10.6 billion in revenue. Based on market value, the industry has also directly released unknown amounts of gas into the atmosphere through a process called venting. Between them, venting and flaring release a noxious cocktail. It's a good name for a bar of carbon dioxide, methane and other pollutants. Climate scientists have warned that without stop and immediate reductions in emissions of climate, carbon dioxide and methane, the world will miss its chance to avert the deadliest and most destructive effects of climate change. Epidemiologists have also linked flaring emissions to preterm births. Flaring has surged alongside the fracking boom that's helped producers unlock previously unreachable fossil fuels. The United States now produces enough oil and natural gas to be energy independent and thumb its nose at Russia. Flaring occurs mostly at oil wells. Even companies that primarily do the natural gas thing burn off some of it. Companies argue that they flare and vent for safety and maintenance and because selling or reusing the gas is not financially feasible. The industry and its regulators refer to this gas as waste. Experts say a valuable resource is being squandered because of weak regulations, ineffective tracking of flaring and venting, and a lack of economic incentives to capture and sell the gas, says a research scholar at the Center on Global Energy Policy at Columbia. 
The atmosphere is a free dumping place. Everything is, apparently. And big banking is saying little on how they will combat climate change through their financing. That's according to a new study which finds minimal, clear commitments to aid financing away from fossil fuels. The top ten banks are talking more about climate change in general. However, in an analysis of annual reports, these banks were found to be vague when it comes to initiatives to actually do something about it. News of the warm, ladies and gentlemen. It's a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. And now... Ladies and gentlemen, that's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. But undaunted, it will return next week at the same time over these same radio stations and on your audio device of choice at your time of choice. Yes, I guess we're pro-choice. And it would be just like Mardi Gras coming to your town sometime if you'd agree to be with me then. Would you? All righty, thank you very much. Uh Uh-huh. Tip of the show, chapeau to the San Diego desk, to Pam Halstead, and to Garrett Pittman here at WWNO New Orleans for their assistance with today's broadcast. The email address for this program, I read them. There aren't many of them, but I read them. Your chance to get Cars I Talk t-shirts. And the playlist of the music heard on this show. All, but so much more, too, at harryshearer.com. And I'm on Twitter at the Harry Shearer. The show comes to you from Century Progress Productions and originates through the facilities, facilities, you know, the thing, of WWNO New Orleans, flagship station of the Change is Easy Radio Network. Happy Mardi Gras.